Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, I don't have to thank you as much as normally because honestly, that brunch, I mean, come on. You don't even have to believe in Jesus to like that, right? Like, this is, this is plenty. This is all we need as a church. That was delicious. Thank you guys for who uh, made it. We really appreciate it. Today, uh, in talking about the Christmas story, uh, I want to talk about three words. Uh, fear, love, and hope. Those are our three words. That's all I'm going to talk about today. I want to start with fear. Uh, because Christmas used to be kind of a spooky affair. I don't know if you guys know this, right? Like, it just, uh, it used to be, like, just a little twinge of kind of spooky, creepy, scary, right? Like, you've heard that one line. You probably ignored it a million times in that Christmas song, and it's like, scary ghost stories and tales of the glories, and you know what I mean? Like, and you always just gloss over that, and you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, we do ghost stories on Christmas. Does anybody do that in their house? No, like, that's super weird for you to sit around and tell ghost stories to each other. I think it probably has something to do with a Christmas character which is undeniably scary, all right? Let's uh, show of hands. I normally don't do this. Who, is, uh, who has a version, any version, of the Christmas carol that's a part of your canon every Christmas that you watch? Anybody? All right. It's a pretty small minority, all right? You guys apparently only like the presents and stuff from Christmas. You guys are out there watching Elf, not Charles Dickens, right? Uh, actually, I was really struck. You guys, many of you guys may remember our uh, former worship leader, Ben Soy. He actually reads A Christmas Carol every Christmas, and then he watches like four different versions of A Christmas Carol. It's like his favorite thing ever. He and I now agree that Muppet Christmas Carol is far and beyond the best version of Christmas Carol that has ever been created. If Chuck Dickens was like pleased with one version, this would be it, all right? The last night, we made the parenting mistake of trying to introduce Evie to A Christmas Carol. She's seven years old. It seemed reasonable. Uh, And we went with Mickey's Christmas Carol, which... Pete at the end, it's still terrifying. Like, it's much scarier than it should be, right? Like, the coffin opens up. He's getting sucked into hell. I'm sorry for spoilers, by the way. If you've never watched or read A Christmas Carol, that's what happens at the end. And it is terrifying, so terrifying, in fact, that I got kicked out of my own bed last night and uh, had to sleep in Evie's bunk bed, right? Like, that's how scary to gauge the sort of fear level uh, of how scary this thing is. Like, man, it's awful, right? Anyway, all that is being said, like, there's something kind of special. Now, you may, I, I'm the one that had to give up my bed last night, so trust me when I say this. I still believe that there is something kind of special about being, like, a little bit afraid uh, during Christmas time. Like, I think it kind of, like, fits in with the season. There's such a cool balance. Like, this is why Christmas lights are neat, because it is so freaking dark outside, right? Like, it gets dark at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then 4 o'clock feels like midnight, and by 6 o'clock, you're like, I don't know why I'm still awake. This is awful, right? Like, you guys have been living here for the past couple weeks. It's rough, right? And then you see these little twinkling Christmas lights, and all of a sudden, that darkness is now a tool for sort of hope and joy in the season. And I believe that fear is that way a little bit as well. We actually see fear in the original Christmas story, right there in the very beginning. We read it. I'll read it again so you can check up on it, right? This is uh, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
And I want you to notice something. Whenever someone tells you not to fear, that's usually because you're already afraid, right? Like nobody ever is just like they see you and they're like, hey, man, have a good day. Don't fear. You know, like you got to be a little bit scared of something to begin with. And so obviously this angel that's talking uh, to Joseph in this dream is picking up on something that he's already feeling. So we have to ask, why would Joseph be afraid? Well, uh, in his mind, his fiance had cheated on him. Now, uh, normally, you know, sometimes I'll get up here and I'll be like, oh, man, let's dive into this Greek language. Let's figure something out here. Let's figure out something about the ancient Near East that'll help explain this a little bit better. Back then, if your fiance came to you and said, I had a child, you would think about the same things that you would think today, okay? There's not any sort of, like, cultural thing that we're misunderstanding. Like, he would make the same assumptions that you would make today. So, obviously, obviously, you can see why he would be afraid. Fear as I understand it, can cause a myriad of uh, threat-based reactions. In fact, uh, people that study like how people work, so I think like psychologists and counselors and stuff like that, uh, they've come up with these four responses. This is one of those old man things where I'm like, man, when I first heard about these, there were two, and now we have three and even four. You're gonna be shocked by the fourth one if you don't know the fourth one already. Anyway, these are like threat-based reactions. Now, a lot of this is used in sort of like understanding trauma and how our brain works when we react to things that we find threatening, right? Uh, but these basic reactions are sort of a, apply to everyone, right? Uh, it's just that when you've gone through trauma, often you will like uh, divert to one of these more quickly or more readily than maybe people who haven't been through the same thing or are maybe not triggered by that. But we all go through these responses. And so uh, scientists say these are the four responses to fear. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fawn's the new one, all right? So uh, I think you guys understand these intuitively, right? Uh, the first two things are kind of like, these were the first two that came about, and they make a lot of sense, right? We see this all throughout the animal kingdom, what's happening. Uh, when you see something scary, your first two reactions are generally to either fight or to flight, right? So you're either fighting or you're running away as fast as you possibly can. We also see this reaction called freeze, which is when something is so scary that your only reaction is just sort of like stop everything, freeze up. You think about like a deer in the headlights, like the immediate visceral reaction to something that is scary is just to stop, just to freeze up. This other reaction, which I think is interesting because I've seen it so much in my life, is fawn. And basically it's this idea that you're acting uh, to try to please away danger. So you might be in this place where, like, you know, you see something threatening, and your first reaction would be to, like, I'm going to try and show that I'm not threatening at all. I'm going to make sure that I'm a pleasing and comfortable presence. Uh, and so that's the idea behind fawn. I really feel like they had to force an F word in there. I don't know if fawn's the right word, but I think you basically get it, right? Those are the four responses. And all of us, when we have the perception of danger, uh, basically we can slip into one of these responses, and it makes it very difficult for us to think clearly, Right? When we're in one of these heightened states of arousal because of our fear uh, and we slip into one of these four sort of places, it makes it difficult for us to think clearly because we're just thinking about survival. This sort of like, you know, lizard brain kind of thing kicks in for us, right? Joseph could have done any four of these responses. He could have fought. He could have been really nasty to Mary, right? Like he had every justification, both legal, moral, ethical, everything that he needed to do or needed to have was on his side. He could have fought. He could have flight. He could have ran away. 
He could have flown. I don't know. I'm ruining that grammatically every time. You guys get what I'm saying, right? He could have ran away, which is kind of what he seems to be doing here, right? He's sort of like, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I'm just going to go, and I'll be gone, and that's fine. He could have froze. He could have been paralyzed in his response, not knowing what to do. He could have fawned. He could have just tried to go through with it, because that would be like kind of like the path of least resistance, right? Like just sort of try and please people in the situation. But he didn't do those things. And today I really want to like dive into the idea of why he didn't do those things. Like what is it about this story and what does it have to teach us who commonly deal with fear and threats in our lives uh, that we should be taking away from the story of Joseph? I want you to think about what you typically do uh, when you're faced with a fearful situation. Like just think of it in your own mind. So we got those four. Maybe we could throw them back up on the screen if you guys don't mind in the back. We got those four responses. Which one of those do you feel like you typically go to when you are faced with a threat, with something that seems fear-inducing? I'm going to entertain three sort of fearful situations that God might be calling you to do uh, throughout this. But I also really love, every time I come up with these like three examples, I'm going to use them three different times during the sermon. I want you to like think about what is causing you fear currently in your own life. It's always best, you know, if we just sit around and I give kind of like a really weird TED talk and we eat some brunch, like that's a good day, but that's not a great day. What's a great day is when we actually are able to take the word of God and apply it to our lives and change the way that we live and maybe be better people as a result of it. And so what I want you to do is be thinking, what could God be calling me to do that I'm a little bit afraid to do? Maybe God is calling you to share the gospel with your friend and that's scary because you don't know how they'll react. Maybe God is calling you to stand up for something that you believe in that maybe like people around you might not agree with or understand. Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and do something uh, and follow his call. And that seems scary because it's unknown. These are all scary things, and they can lead us into this fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Now, I believe that there's actually a biblical pattern for facing down fears. And I believe it's by using love to break the power of fear. Now, as always, I have to give this disclaimer that I am not a mental health care provider. I am not a licensed professional counselor or a doctor of psychology or an influencer who uses the word toxic a lot. But here is what I do know, okay? Uh, here's what I do know. The Bible is actually true to our lives in spite of any sort of like knowledge that we might gain. And that doesn't mean that the Bible is opposed to scientific knowledge. In fact, what's really beautiful and what I'm even finding and doing research today is the way in which Scripture can actually sort of like come alongside with our continually growing human knowledge base to help us to react to the world around us. I believe that the Bible is true and that it is always current to our lives. It also seems to me that in the research that I've looked into, the world is just beginning to scratch the surface into these threat-based responses. And we've really, really, really only recently started even trying to suggest methods of self-regulation as a way to like get out of these threat responses when you find yourself in them. And so what I'm suggesting today... I'm realizing now as you guys are all zoning out, I don't know why I needed to feel like I needed to give you this philosophy disclaimer or something like a stamp of like, this is not endorsed by the FDA or whoever would do that. I don't know. You know what I mean, right? Like, so anyway, what I'm saying is this, I think, could be a viable option. And we see it throughout scripture as a method by which we might respond to these threat-based responses. So next, the next word is love. The answer is love. Love is all you need. Check this out in the relationship between fear and love from our most loving disciple, John. 
Aaron actually read the beginning of this passage earlier. This comes a little bit later in 1 John 4, 18. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So do you see what's happening there? Love is chasing out the fear. Now, I don't think that John here is saying that, like, if you see a lion and you get a little scared that you're not a Christian, right? Like, I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. But he's trying to give Christians actually a method of understanding fear. And he's saying that love beats it. That love can actually cast out fear. That love growing in your heart can actually push out fear. It's sort of like some sort of like vacuum chamber, you know? And you're filling up this balloon with gas, and it's taking up more space uh, for inside the chamber, so it's pushing other stuff out. And that's what's happening in the relationship between love and fear. The more that your love is growing, the more it pushes fear out. You've probably seen this in your own life, right? Like when I see a snake in the backyard, if I'm by myself, I run in terror and I scream like a little girl because no one's around me. If Evie is back there, then I'm like, oh, snap, I'm going to take care of this snake, right? Because I love Evie more than I'm scared of that snake. It's actually happened in a really like profound way. Nothing actually happens in this story just as an another disclaimer, but I don't know why it's always stuck with me. One time we're hanging out at the park, a bunch of people, and uh, there's this uh, person that comes up and they bring this pit bull up, right? Now, I really don't want to get it stuck in a pit bull conversation with you guys. We're not talking about like the rapper from Miami either. We're talking about the dog, right? So this person comes up with a dog called a pit bull and, you know, who knows? You guys live in Denver, and so the stats would say that you guys are probably 60% in favor of pit bulls, I think, from the last vote that we had two years ago, I think is how it turns out. But anyway, I don't know how you feel, you know. Shoot me an email afterwards if you have strong feelings about pit bull. People are always like, um, it's all in how people train them. They're actually sweet and smart and intelligent dogs. And I always say to that, have you met people? Do we really want to trust them with this, right? Like, people can't even train people. Have you met people trying to raise kids, right? It's crazy. Why do we think they can raise a dog? Like, I don't think so. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. This dog was a killer, okay? We're playing soccer, kicking the soccer ball around. This dog walks up, bites the soccer ball, clinches down, pops immediately. That's some strength there, right? No human being at this party can remove this soccer ball from this dog's mouth, Okay? We're all like sitting there trying to pull it. There's nothing that we can do, right? Which is a scary thing. Now, my first thought was, uh, okay, I'm not going to pet that dog, right? That's thought number one. Thought number two is as we're sitting there, I look over and someone has brought, someone brought a pit bull to the party. Somebody uh, brought a soccer ball. Somebody brought a baby to the party. And I'm looking over there and I'm looking at this baby's head and I'm thinking like, that's about the same size as a soccer ball, right? And so I started just thinking, like I said, this is... Don't get too excited. This story has no real ending, okay? So, like, nothing really happens. But I just started thinking, like, man, that baby's head is the size of a soccer ball. No human being could pry that soccer ball from that dog's mouth. What do I need to do if this dog bites this baby's head? That's what I start thinking, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, looking around. I'm like, okay, I've got a watermelon rind. I don't know what this is going to do, but this is my weapon that I'm going to beat this dog off of this baby's head if this happens, right? Now, you may think that's a dark thought, right? Especially you guys who are more dog than people people, people, right? Like, I get that. That is kind of like dark. But in that moment, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, I love this baby more than I am scared of this dog. Now, I might lose my hand in that situation, right? It might not go well for me. I don't want to pick a dog, fight with this dog. I don't think I would win. But at the end of the day, I love that little child more than I love my, or more than I am afraid of this dog. 
You probably had a situation like this, right? And basically what happens in these situations is that love replaces and supersedes fear. Love replaces and supersedes fear. Think about it in your own life. Like we've had something scary that you've overcome. I bet if you really thought hard about that situation, you would see that the reason why you overcame it is because you loved something more than what you were afraid of. Could be like some sort of life-saving situation, or it could even be a chance where you were like standing up for someone else at school or work, something that was like scary for you, and you actually did it because you loved that person that much. Think about that. Think about your own situation. I threw these out earlier, maybe sharing the gospel, standing up in faith, stepping out in faith. Think about how love can supersede the fear that you feel in those situations. Like maybe you're scared to share the gospel with your friend, but at the end of the day, your love for your friend actually supersedes the fear that you're feeling. That's the only reason people share the gospel, right? When they love someone so much that they're not as scared of what's going to happen when they like go out on a limb. Think about standing up in your faith. Don't you love the ways of God more than the ways of this world? Like, don't you love the approval uh, and encouragement of God when you stand up for his ways more than you love, like, or more than you're scared of, like, losing some sort of reputation or whatever? Maybe stepping out in faith and following God's call requires loving uh, God enough to trust his plan in your life more than what you fear. God is actually the perfect uh, example here because Scripture tells us, actually pretty close in 1 John, uh, in verse 16, that God is love. It says this, So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you see that just from two verses earlier than our last verse, it says that love uh, where it said that love beats out fear, now it is telling us that God is love. God is that love that beats out fear. And in the most profound way possible, Joseph actually experienced this in a better way than we ever could, right? Like, do you see what actually replaced his fear in this situation? I'll give you a hint. It's the Sunday school answer. It's always the safest answer at church, right? What replaced his fear was Jesus, right? Uh, verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see that? His fear was replaced with Jesus, with love in human form, with love made tangible, made real, and coming down to earth, with love incarnating around us, the agape love of God that was brought down for the hope of all of humanity was present in Joseph's life, and that is what the angel pointed to to release him from his fear. So when you have fear and you apply love, the result of fear and love colliding is actually hope, which is our third word for today. I made up an equation. I'm sorry for all the math people. It's a bad one, but here, here's how it goes. Fear times love equals hope. Don't think too long about it. Just read it. Let's go ahead and take it down because it's going to confuse people. But it makes sense if you don't think about it very much. Fear times love equals hope. This is the cycle that I believe that Joseph went through in just a minute, at least in our text. Now, probably what happened is it probably took a little bit longer than that. You know, Matthew's just like glossing over this whole story, and he's like, oh, and by the way, he was really scared, and then the angel was like, don't be, and he was like, all right, cool. No, I think this probably took a little bit longer than this, but I think the process is actually clear, that he was afraid, 
Jesus and love was introduced, and then he had hope. Matthew actually has a little excursus here about a prophecy from Isaiah, and I'm not sure if he's implying that Joseph knew this prophecy. Uh, Joseph was a Jewish person living in the first century, so the odds are that he probably did know this prophecy, but Matthew's sort of bringing it out for all of us who are just readers, and he says this in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you imagine being Joseph in this moment? Like, I really hope that he had this verse to call on in his mind. I really hope that he actually had this memorized. Because now, all of a sudden, this fearful situation where he's going to actually have a child that he's going to love is actually now even more imbued with hope because now this child is going to be the hope of the world. This child is going to be God with us. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to imagine the hope that was required for this task. Just think about it. How much hope did Joseph need? If you've been around Dwell for a while, something that's been happening in my life over the past three months is I've been thinking more about hope as a discipline. Hope is not only just a gift that you sometimes give, but sometimes hope requires a little bit of work and effort on your part to be able to believe. I want you to think about the hope that Joseph had to have, that he had to cultivate inside himself in order to uh, go on this journey. He had to hope that his wife wasn't cheating on him and that he didn't just dream this up out of nowhere. Right? Joseph was a person just like you and me. I'm sure you had to have moments where you were like, was that an angel or did I have a bad burrito last night? Like, what's going on here? He had to hope. He had to hope that they could find a place to stay in Bethlehem. He had to hope that he could deliver this baby with a cow as his doula, right? Like, think about it. Who else would it have been other than Joseph, right? And they're out there in a manger. Man, that's a lot of hope. He had to hope. Through all the years and the strange journey of raising Jesus, that he could be dad enough to this boy to help this boy become who he was supposed to be. There's a lot of pressure on being a dad in general. Can you imagine the pressure that Joseph was under? It took a lot of hope. I believe that if Joseph can have hope for that task, then you and I can probably have hope in whatever God is calling us to do. I really don't think that any of us are probably being called to the same kind of crazy and absurd thing that God called Joseph to do, but there is something that God is inviting you to do in your life, and there's probably something that's a little bit scary that's happening in your life. I would say that this process of fear times love equals hope, that little uh, walking through that journey towards hope is something that we all need to do. And in fact, we need to replace this cycle that is fear and then being paralyzed or fight or flight or freeze or fawn, whatever it is, right? Like that cycle that we often go through needs to be replaced with a better one. We actually see it uh, in Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5. It says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You could probably replace sufferings right there with things that are causing us Fear. We rejoice in those things that are causing us pain, that are causing us to suffer, that the world says that we should be desperately afraid of. And Paul says, because knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that a better cycle? Isn't that the cycle that you want to be a part of when you're facing something scary? Let's reframe those situations that we were talking about. Sharing the gospel. You might fear the situation, but you can love the other person enough to hope for their salvation, to hope that they would come to know Jesus. That's, that takes a lot of hope, and it's a scary thing to even like open up your heart to hope and to believe that, but it's a good thing, and hope does not put us to shame. Standing up for your faith, you might be scared that you're going to be ridiculed or rejected or that because you take this stance that people are not going to like, like you or trust you or whatever it is, but you can love God enough to hope that your steadfastness would actually uh, encourage others, that your steadfastness would actually be a model to others, that you standing up in the face of something that is scary might actually help someone know God more and love him more. Stepping out in faith and following a calling from God. You might fear leaving your comfort zone. You might fear leaving what you know. But love of God and his plan will give you hope for the future. It looks scary from where you're at right now, but if you remember and know and understand and appreciate the love that God has for you, the only way that you can walk into that previously fearful situation is with hope for what God might do through it. Odds are, many of us are experiencing fear in ways that I don't even know or understand. I don't even know what your situation is when I'm up here talking about fear. I don't know what it is that makes you scared right now. But I can tell you this, just as it was in Joseph's story, I believe that this is actually the answer to overcoming that fear. Jesus is the answer, the love that God has for you, the love that he offers to you, the love that he gives to you to be able to extend to those around you is the only way that you can overcome that fear. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never had him interject his love into your life, you can actually begin that relationship today. He has actually uh, come at Christmas time as we're celebrating today. He has come once and for all so that man no longer need fear. So that his love interjected in our life could cast out all of our fear of death, of pain, of being separated from God forever. His love overcomes the sin in our lives that we might actually have hope of an eternal future with him and he is offering that freely to you today. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.